If U.S. health professionals thought the movement by consumers and patients toward medical tourism was a passing fad, think again. It's on the verge of becoming even more global. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, a channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, the healthcare reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and with me today is Dr. Devon Herrick. Dr. Herrick is a senior fellow at the National Center for Policy Analysis. Dr. Herrick is a healthcare economist specializing in such issues as empowering patients, smart shopping for prescriptions, internet-based medicine, consumer-driven healthcare, and innovative medical care providers. He has been quoted widely in the media. He has also been contributing his own articles as contributing editor of Healthcare News, and his work has also appeared in Business Economics, The Washington Times, and the Journal of American Physicians and Surgeons. He joins us today from the National Center for Policy Analysis offices in Dallas, Texas. Dr. Devon Herrick, welcome to ReachMD. XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Well, thanks for having me, Bruce. Well, it's great to have you here because this whole idea of medical tourism is really starting to take off. I mean, I get a lot of emails and have had guests on the show, uh, companies and people that are are pushing this, but I don't think people realize just how big this is. Well, uh, it's been growing by leaps and bounds, uh, I think. For example, a recent study by Deloitte uh, estimated that about 750,000 Americans went abroad for some type of care last year. And they're projecting that could actually go up to, uh, I want to say, around 6 million by 2010. So that's a significant growth rate. And what is driving people to seek care abroad? I think when this started, I sort of think of my uh, aunt and uncle from Burlington, Iowa, who have a place in South Padre Island who would go across the border into Matamoros for, uh, or t- t- for some cheap drugs. But it's beyond that, isn't it? And what kind of people are going over there? Are they uninsured? Are they elderly people who maybe don't have, of course, they have drug coverage now. Who are these people and why are they going? I think it's many of the people you mentioned. Uh, for example, I live in, in Dallas and I have been to South Padre and I have gone across the border to Matamoros and, and bought drugs before. <laughs> but, you know, of course, South Texas has a significant number of what we call winter Texans, you know, retirees that like to come from the cold climate in the north to spend the winters in Texas. And yeah, a lot of the medical tourism that currently exists is people crossing the, the closest border, especially with Mexico. But also, there's a lot of people that they're either they're uninsured or they're underinsured, and they have a health need, and they look at the cost domestically, and they think, you know, do I really want to go into deeply in debt, or if can I find a high-quality healthcare facility abroad where my total cost might be, say, less than $10,000 for a heart bypass? And so I think that savings is driving a lot of it, and that's also making insurers and health plans take notice. And I think that there are even some concerns by the American Medical Association and others where employers in this country, in the United States, are actually encouraging some of their workers to seek care of abroad. Are you finding that in your research? Well, I'm not finding a lot of anecdotes of companies that have actually paid workers to go abroad, but I'm finding a lot of anecdotes of companies that are very interested, or health plans or insurance companies that are interested in knowing more and how might this work, how might, you know, what could they do to offer workers the option, you know, not force them, but offer them the option. I mean, an example that people oftentimes talk about is Blue Ridge Paper. Several years back, they offered one of their workers the, the option or, of going abroad to seek care. And where, and, where is, and where is Blue Ridge Paper for our listeners? I want to say it's in South Carolina, okay. North Carolina or South Carolina. Okay. 
but the the bottom line was they had a worker who wanted to do it. It was going to lower his cost sharing substantially. But at the last minute, the union stepped in and said, no, we're not going to allow this. So that was a case where workers were willing to do it. They wanted to do it because they wanted to keep their cost sharing at a level they could afford, yet you know, due to labor relations, they were, were prevented. I think in the future you will see more of these arrangements, and increasingly I'm hearing about firms kind of like Hannaford in, in Maine that is offering these options to their workers. And I assume, what would they be wanting them to seek? I mean, I guess one of the things that would be a concern to me as a patient and certainly the medical community would be, okay, where are you going to encourage people to go and what has to be set up? I mean, you have to have some sort of quality for people to go over seas or or to Canada or uh, even to Mexico, I would think that they would want to know a lot of information about this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you would never just tell your worker, you know, go somewhere, we'll reimburse you. No, there are intermediaries that actually have vetted hospitals, have have kind of almost like preferred provider networks. You know, they make sure the hospital's good, the the doctors are good. For example, Apollo Group in India, Walkhart, I mean, India is actually affiliated with Harvard International, Punta Pacifica in San Jose, Costa Rica is parted up with Johns Hopkins. You would want to go, or even Boomingrad in, in Thailand, you would want to go to a facility with an international reputation uh, and have physicians, and many of which are actually trained in the U.S., to know that you're getting the same quality you would get at home. I mean, it would, would not be like the Wild West of just go somewhere and we'll pay you back. Well, you bring up an interesting point when you were talking about places like Johns Hopkins and Harvard. Now, why would they want to establish a something w- that would seem to take a business away from them? I mean, are they sort of billing this as they want to be tre- treating expatriates, or they want to just establish, they want to go where the business is, much like McDonald's would go to a booming company in China or so forth? I'm not really seeing the reasoning here, and I hope you can explain it to me. Oh, well, there's actually quite a bit of, of examples. Um, Cleveland Clinic has facilities they either manage or are owned abroad. Mayo Clinic, I think, also. And in fact, down the road from me in Dallas, there is Hospital Corp International, or International Hospital Corp, which has facilities in Brazil and Mexico and Latin America. There's Christus Magueras in Irving down the road from me that is cooperating and partnering with firms in, in Monterey, Mexico. But the reason these firms are doing this is, well, some of them are wanting to attract business. It's a business opportunity. But some of the big-name companies, are big. they're trying to create international brands. As healthcare becomes more globally competitive, they want to be the Coca-Cola, so to speak, uh, in healthcare. Yeah, that's fascinating. And so and are they able to have lower costs? I would assume they would have lower costs overseas. Otherwise, they wouldn't be competitive. Oh, absolutely. And I've analyzed you know, why can some of these hospitals that have high quality but much lower cost well, one of the reasons is lower cost of labor. A physician in India, for example, might only make 40% as much as a physician in the U.S. Now, a nurse in India would make maybe one, you know, one-tenth to one-twentieth as much. And now that the orderlies, the semi-skilled labor and the manual labor are even less expensive compared to their U.S. counterparts. You know, there's fewer cross-subsidies. There is less third-party payment and the accompanying bureaucracy required for that. But in many cases, because they're competing for patient dollars, they have to have streamlined, efficient operations. When you think about a global economy, this makes sense. It's more than just some senior citizen who wants to get a cheap hip replacement going to Thailand or Mexico, isn't it? Well, I think that's definitely true. I mean, in fact, 
you know, in many other industries that we consume goods and services, global competition is the norm. I mean, if you go to Maytag, for example, the, the washer and dryer you buy, the chips might have been made in Asia, the subassembly may be um, put together in Mexico, the pump or the motor may be in the U.S., but it might go through a variety of countries. But the local domestic manufacturer has outsourced these products to be, to be the most competitive they can be. But yet your local hospital would not, you know, have a, you know, ordinarily would not advise you, okay, we can provide the same service cheaper, uh, plain right away. But healthcare is going global, and it's much more common in Europe, for example, where people routinely cross national borders for holidays or healthcare or what have you. And that, that's an interesting question, because if they are going to Europe, is this something that U.S. providers should be concerned about? I mean, should they be worried much like a General Motors or a Ford or a Boeing that sees increased competition overseas? Should, should U.S. healthcare providers be worried about this global economy? Well, I think they should be worried from the standpoint if they're not willing to compete and streamline their operations, they will be affected by the global economy. But I think those that want to can adapt, and especially physicians, because, I mean, there are a lot of room for physicians to to partner with foreign concerns. In fact, I have a study I produced last December. One of the biggest places that we've actually distributed printed copies is, is a firm in Houston that uses them as part of a recruiting packet to get physicians to join them to help finance hospitals and, and basically build condo-type facilities where physicians can go there, operate, and come back. That sounds like not, not a bad deal for a physician. It, it's, a, it's a wonderful area. It's typically in Monterey. It's a booming you know, health spa-type area. You fly into the weekend, maybe you do five surgeries, enjoy your weekend, and you fly back home. Where do I sign up? I suppose I'd have to go to <laughs> medical school. Now, where, where else is some of this being done? I know that you had talked and you sent me some information about heart surgery, hip replacements, rhinoplasty are being offered in countries such as India, Costa Rica, Turkey, and Thailand for half to one-fifth the cost in the, in the U.S. That would seem to be if you could establish a uh, relationship and and if you, if you were a Mayo Clinic or a Cleveland Clinic and you started to set up branches over there and and the prices were lower, I would think that would be something that could really take off. Well, you, you would assume. I mean, for example, they say that, you know, they, they have the 80-20 rule. 20% of your enrollees or your workers are consuming 80% of the care spent by insurers and health plans. Well, what if care abroad is 80% less expensive? Take that 80% of the cost and lower it by 80%. That is, that is very, very appealing. But, but some of the places that, you know, like, for example, Thailand, India are the low-cost, high-quality leader. Singapore is a, is a high-quality leader, although not as economical as, as Thailand. But we're having industries grow in, like I say, Monterey, Mexico, and Costa Rica, Brazil, and, and in fact, just around the world. And what should consumers and doctors look for if they were going to seek care in these areas or if they wanted to become a part of a system, a medical tourism system, a, a place where you, someone would go abroad for care? What should they look for and what should they be on the lookout for? First off, you typically would want a financial intermediary or to help you facilitate the travel that is reputable. For example, I just came back from Bridge Health International, which is a Denver-based firm, and they actually have a way to assess whether or not you are a good candidate to travel. And it, it's, you know, basically creates a, a number or a metric and if it says that, no, you are not a good candidate to go 300 miles or 500 miles or a, maybe a 15-hour plane trip, they would not take you. Well, the, the trouble is, is the patient might call the next firm on the Internet, 
and get one that really does not pre-screen hospitals or pre-screen patients, and you could have a very, you know, a very different outcome. So first off, you want to make sure you're going to a reputable hospital, and you're working with reputable facilitators to make sure quality is as good as you would get at home. Well, with that, I'd like to thank Dr. Devin Herrick, who has been our guest. We've been talking about medical tourism and medical outsourcing and healthcare going global. I'm Bruce Japson of the Chicago Tribune. I've been your host. I'd like to thank Dr. Devin Herrick, and I'd like to thank you today for listening.